I love you. So, yeah, uh, we're on this little short series, What Does That Mean, uh, I Love You? Uh, could mean I like you. could mean I'm lusting after you. It could mean that I'd like to go fishing with you. Uh, could mean a lot of different things, but we're looking at the Bible, what it means. So in your notes, number one, Jefferson Baptist Church is the I Love You Church. We're continually saying I love you to God, and that means something. And when we say that, that's not just a... Uh, sort of a thoughtless, warm fuzzy. It means that we have certain commitments uh, that we're making towards Him. We're saying, I love you to each other in our church family and to the lost around us. And so each one, there's a set of commitments, uh, promises that we make. I say, I love you to my wife. It means something. I say, I love you uh, to you. It means something. To God, it means something, each having a set of commitments. So those commitments are what we're calling the one another in commands in the New Testament. There are actually 21 different references, but uh, because of the similarities and the synonyms, we've combined them, and so we've come up with a dozen of these, and so they're in your notes. Number one, be humble in your relationships with one another. Honor one another. Be hospitable to one another. Do not judge one another. Pursue peace with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Do not speak against one another. Reprove one another. Well, that'd be an interesting one when we get to that. Pray for one another, greet one another. And so each of those are commands, and my statement, I love you, means I'm going to do those, make attempt to work at doing them. And you, when you said to me, I love you, all of those would be the commitment that you're making when you say that. Number two, a foundational one another in command is to be humble in our relationship with each other. So it's interesting as we would talk about humility and what that means and how it works itself out in our relationships, in our families, with our neighbors at work and, and in our church family. And it's a little different uh, what that full meaning is. We're going to look at that. Uh, and we're going to look at it primarily from how we talk. That's the key thing. Ephesians 4.29 is our key verse this morning. Let no, no, that means zero, none, absolutely nothing, no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Only, only such a word is as good for edification. That is, the words would build a character, move us towards Christ's likeness. Only words that we would, that would stir up, motivate, encourage, uh, that move us to Christ's likeness according to the need of the moment so that it may give grace, give grace to those who hear. So that's an amazing statement that I can give you grace by the words I speak. You can give me grace by the words you speak. Um, we tend to have a narrow view of the grace, what it means. We apply it mostly to people that are not believers, but as we live for Jesus, God's grace is His power, it's His strength, it's His motivation, it's what gives us the will to serve and to follow. Uh, it's His grace that gives us the ability uh, to do things in a special way for other individuals and people. God gives grace. That statement is made repeatedly in the Bible. The question is, how, when, where? He gives it to us through each other. Uh, and that becomes the most important principle to understand, one that we often forget. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. So we're going to say this repeatedly uh, as we go through this series. You've heard me say it before. What does it mean to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think? It means to think in such a way that you can do things on your own by yourself apart from the help of other people. Uh, when you think that, that I, you know, I'm, 
I've been a believer for 20-some years. I can take care of it. I have my Bible. I can pray. I've got the power of God working in my life. I can do things just fine. I don't need you. That's pride. It's not humility. Humility is saying, I do need you. Apart from you, I'm not going to make it because God has designed the whole system, put it together in such a way. There's an interdependence. We're part of each other. He gives me what I need, but he always does it through a person. And when I understand that fully, then I have humility. When I don't think I need you, then I have pride. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, one body, that's Jefferson Baptist Church. Many members, that's each of you and me. All the members do not have the same function. We're different. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different interests. So we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, For the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. You know, sometimes I hear uh, some of our singers sing, and I think, Wow, they are so good. They've got such a gift. I think I would eh, trade at least two of my kids if I could have a gift like that. Uh, you know, so there's a bit of jealousy. I'd, wow, those guys are just really good. Uh, if I sang, we would... Clear the place out. It would be sort of like uh, that stuff I spray on yellow jackets. That'd work on you about the same way. Uh, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, that's me, that's you, each one of us, each one in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, there would be, where would the body be? But now there are many members, one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. No one can say, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And so we take your eyeball and pluck it out. What does it do? I used to have a friend in high school who had an artificial eye. It was glass. He used to freak everybody out, taking it out and putting it in his mouth. <laughs> uh, girls especially go, oh, yuck. Uh, so if you did that with a real eyeball, what would it do? Nothing. It can't see, can't do anything, just look ugly, freak everybody out. Uh, if you're not connected, you're useless. If you're not connected, you're dead. If you're not connected, you won't function, spiritually speaking. Number three, humility in the New Testament is not, ah, shucks, I can't do anything right. There's some who would say that, but that's not what humility is. <clears throat> we can all do something right because we're created in His image. Humility in the New Testament is, I need you, I can't grow without you. So most of you, many of you know my son-in-law, Thomas Wilson, He's Liberian from West Africa. My daughter Sherry went to Liberia as a missionary working for Samaritan's Purse. She delivered a lot of these shoeboxes while she was there. And uh, they required that uh, they have a driver because driving in Liberia is um, the awfulest experience of your life if you do it. And so they, Thomas was Sherry's driver. 
And so in the process of traveling around Liberia, you know, they got romantically inclined and she sent me a letter and said, Dad, I've met the guy I want to marry and on and on. So they, they got married here, then they went back to Africa and had an African uh, wedding and then they came back here uh, so Thomas could get his U.S. citizenship and he was working for my brother-in-law, had a farming accident, broke his neck and is paralyzed in a wheelchair and they live with us. And uh, there's a lot that he cannot do for himself that you take for granted. And so we have four different individuals that are caregivers uh, that come and spend hours at our house taking care of him, doing things for him that he can't do for himself, just simple things that we all do. He can't. And so he doesn't fuss about that. He knows who he is. He knows where he is. He knows what his limitations are. He's, uh, and, and so when he needs help, he calls for help because he can't do it. That's what we need to have as an attitude in regards to our spiritual life, our walk and relationship with God. We're the same way. But the problem is, Thomas knows it, we don't. We think we can do it. He knows he can't. God has made us interdependent so we cannot function independent of each other. We have different gifts, and so we meet each other's needs with that giftedness. Number four in your notes, we are all born with a self-sufficient, independent, I can do it by myself, I don't need you attitude. <clears throat> I was born with it, you were as well. Everyone is, it's part of our flesh. Uh, our kids, you know, when they got to be about a week old, it was like they shook their fist at you. That well, really didn't take place quite that soon. But there was an early on statement, I can do it by myself. Okay, okay. Do it by yourself. We're born with it. That attitude and opinion of ourselves is the definition of pride. That's what drove the devil out of heaven. That's what he uses primarily to tempt us. That's how he works in us. I can do fine without you. Thank you very much. Number five, God's grace is God's power. He gives it to us through other people, not directly. So this August, Patty and I will celebrate 50 years of married life, and over the 50 years, we have had a few little skirmishes, uh, really only about three things that we have had skirmishes over, just kind of happen over and over and over. Number one issue, my wife does not believe in gas gauges. It's against her religion. <laughs> she just will not, she won't look at it, she refuses, it's just not in her thing. And so, because she doesn't look at the gas gauge fairly often, especially when we had one car, she would drive it home and it would be on, I mean, absolutely, totally dead empty. And the next morning, I'm scheduled to go fishing at 4 o'clock in the morning, and how many gas stations are open at 4 o'clock in the morning? I get up all excited, get my fishing rod, get my stuff, get in the car, start the and it's empty. So I get on my phone and I call somebody for marriage counseling. <clears throat> so if your car is empty, what do you do? You go to a gas station, and they put gas in it. Uh, you hand them your credit card or whatever it is, and you say, fill it with regular, please. That's just what you do. And every time you need gas, you pull into a gas station, and you do the same thing. So what do you do if you need grace, God's power, God's strength, will? What do you do? Well, the average Christian says, I'll just go direct to God. He'll unscrew the top of my head and pour it in. Doesn't work that way. 
It doesn't work that way. If you're out of gas, you pull into a gas station. If you need grace, you connect with other believers. That's how you get it. God gives it to me through you. I can't get it direct. If I could, I would. It's so much more convenient than having to get it from people. But that's not the way God works. It'd be so cool if I could say, Lord, fill her up, my gas, my car, so I don't have to stop. I'm in a hurry. I'd like to get a lot done. Doesn't work that way. I pull into a gas station, pay them some money, they fill it up. God gives grace, but he gives it to us through people. Ephesians 4.29 again, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. It may give grace. It may give grace. So I give grace to you by the words I speak. You give grace to me by the words we speak. That is God's power, his motivation, his inner will. 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility, humility toward one another. God is opposed to the proud. He fights against the proud, gives grace, gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6, he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud. That's the person who says, I don't need you. He gives grace to the humble. That is the one who says, I do need you. Number six in your notes, the primary reason Christians are so undisciplined in church attendance is that they don't think they need to be with other believers that much. So the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, that's a community, as it were, a family. And we're made like that in that we're community, we're family, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, us, the church, the bride of Christ, with him always. When we first went to Sierra Leone, Pastor Mike is there. He's going to be coming home in a couple of days. got a team of five, I think, with him. We've got uh, getting close to 30 churches, I think, now. Uh, And uh, Bible school, he's teaching there. God's done a bunch of cool things there through our church over the last number of years. I don't go anymore. I'm not involved much. A um, number of others are really involved over there. But when we first went, there was this... Um, they didn't really understand that when it poured down rain and the water that came all over the ground in a monsoon kind of thing and then ran down into the wells that they dug, that that was a problem. Um, but their water was polluted and they got sick regularly. Um, one of the things that we have started over there as the church is drilling wells and capping it off and making it so the groundwater doesn't get in it. Uh, They didn't really understand the whole concept of boiling water. And uh, some of the teams have gone over there, some of the ladies especially, taught them the importance of boiling water. Uh, Their kids got malaria, um, often dying, and they really didn't realize and understand that a mosquito net at night, the the mosquito that carries malaria comes out at night, that that would prevent most of the malaria. There's some simple things that they didn't quite understand and get, but they, they, most of them do now. And so they just did what they did, mostly out of ignorance and paid the price for it. And the sickness that often their kids got, I think the figure that I remember hearing was that about 40% of kids died before they were two, uh, mostly by things that were preventable. And so we've got this sort of naive thought that, yeah, coming to church, that's good. I don't need to. I can take it or leave it. We don't recognize that connecting is where we get what we need. That's the way God made us. My hand is connected, and when we connect, we get what we need from God through people. 
Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. That's a command, one of the strongest commands in the New Testament. We read it and say, oh, nice suggestion. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, more and more and more and more as you see the day drawing near. Number seven, the primary reason so few Christians are part of an accountability group is because they don't think they need it. That's where you get with others and you give them permission to ask questions about how you're doing and how your goals are doing and are you reading the Bible and are you spending time with God. Uh, we give grace to each other. We encourage one another when we connect. But it takes some time and so most people don't think the time is worth uh, what they would get out of it because they think, oh, I can do fine by myself. I don't need you. Number eight, every believer has been given a spiritual gift mix that is intended by God to edify the rest of the church family and brings great joy and satisfaction into our, our own life, the functioning of that gift. Do you have a spiritual gift? I do. It's mostly a combination of a number of gifts, but we're unique. Each of us are spiritual snowflakes, as it were. And God intends that our gift would edify the body of Christ. In the area of our giftedness, we are as good as Jesus potentially so but cut my hand off it will not function separate you from the body and your gift will not function if you don't know what your spiritual gift is is because it's not functioning and it isn't functioning because there's not enough connection with the body of Christ Romans 15 1 now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength not just please ourselves for each of us each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek, seek to abound for the edification of the church, your church, uh, to edify those who hear you. Romans 12. I read this earlier. I'll read it again. For through the grace given to me, <clears throat> Paul speaking, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who, sows, uh, uh, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So you've got a gift Paul says use it for the edification of the church, but if you're not connected, it won't work. Number nine, most Christians have no clue what their spiritual gift is because it will not function in the lives of independent, self-sufficient, prideful people. <clears throat> it's basic. You've got to be connected, otherwise you're spiritually dead. You won't function. That's a choice we make. It takes time. Uh, and in our country, especially this independent, self-sufficient, I can do it by myself, it's our culture. That's how we started. We call it the Declaration of Independence. And we live with that. This Declaration of Independence, I don't need you, I can do it by myself. <clears throat> Number 10, in the United States we're plagued with this attitude. It keeps most Christians wimpy and most churches sick. I need you, and when I say I love you, I'm saying that. 
And when I say I love you, I'm saying you need me and I will do what I need to do in order for your spiritual needs to be met. Eleven, when I say to you I love you, I'm saying I need you. I need you to meet my spiritual needs. I can't grow without you. And, I also, and also I will do all that I can to meet your needs. <clears throat> and so that, that's just a critically, critically important attitude that we all have in the body of Christ and the statement, I love you, I love you, I love you, is intended to remind us every time we say it of the truth of this statement. Twelve, the most often given one another in command in the New Testament is encourage one another. Now we're going to talk about this from the flip side. Uh, my responsibility to you, your responsibility to me, um, encourage one another. Some would say it's to love one another, but this is the one that's given most often. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another, build up one another, just as you also are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient. 13, the act of giving encouragement gives grace, inner strength or willpower by the means of the words that we speak to another person. Our words have power, amazing supernatural power. God works through our words. The Bible is called the Word of God. Uh, when people speak and teach the Bible, it declares their words to be the very words of God as He communicates truth through those words. And by the words we speak, we give courage, we give encouragement, we give willpower, we give God's grace. Ephesians 4.29 again, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace, give grace to those who hear. Number 14, <clears throat> We're created in the image and likeness of God, and like Him our words have great power to destroy or create, to tear down or build up, to intimidate or make strong. Words are supernatural. We can make someone feel like dirt with our words. We can make someone feel like a champion with their words. We say, I love you, and that's a commitment that I will speak words to you that build you up. Psalms 148, verse 5, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, He commanded, He spoke, they were created. Psalms 33, 6, By the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of His mouth, all their host Psalms 33, 9, for he spoke, God spoke, it was done, he commanded, it stood fast. So I'm created in his image and in his likeness, you are as well. Proverbs 10, 31, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, the perverted tongue will be cut out. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise instructs his mouth, adds persuasiveness to his lips. 15, the privilege and power, privilege and power, privilege given to me by God, given to you by God, the privilege and the power, the, the ability to give grace to another person grows as we learn and discipline ourselves to eliminate negative, critical, grouchy, complaining speech from our mouth. So the principle is this. God won't use a mouth that is, on the one hand, 
speaking unwholesome words to give grace. You want to be a grace giver, then uh, learn to talk right. Uh, I do parenting seminars, breakfasts, classes occasionally, and I start by saying when you parent, parent on purpose, that is, don't react to miss bad behavior, proactively teach good behavior, and we had ten goals. Uh, the first one is teach your children to talk in a way that is good, is kind, is mannerly. It's not, uh, and you can listen, you tell the difference. Teach them how to talk right. Most people don't know how to do that. And our culture our, uh, today is being rude, being critical, uh, is kind of the way it is in our country. God won't use a person who does that very much. James 3 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, that is, with our mouth. And with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt produce fresh. So I want to be a grace giver. You want to be a grace giver. You want to encourage, build up. So that means uh, work at speaking. Uh, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. 16, the more grace we give on purpose, we choose to give to others, the more grace we will receive. It's a basic law of God. The more we choose to give to others by the words we speak, the more we will receive from others. Luke 6, 38, given will be given to you. They will put out, pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure will be measured to you in return. So, I love you. Try that one more time. I love you. There we go. That's my commitment to you that I will work at speaking words that give grace. And I also am saying, without you, apart from you, I'm, I'm dead, spiritually speaking. I need what you have for me. And so I will, on purpose, connect, um, work on relationship, work on transparency, work on dependence and interdependence, because together we grow. Independent, we don't. And it's an attitude thing, an attitude of humility. Giving and receiving grace. It's a great way to be uh, a part of a church. And it, but it happens on each of our parts as we have that attitude of humility and an attitude of helping, serving others. Let's pray. Father, we love you very much. We thank you so much for your infinite power. And it's available to us, but you give it to us through those around us. I pray that we would not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, understanding that you give grace, but, Lord, it's through others. Uh, We get gas for our car at a gas station. We get grace from you from other people in our church. And the more we understand that, the more we will on purpose connect, um, both giving and receiving grace from each other. Grant us the strength to speak words that edify, that build up. We love you with all our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.